Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox, and I am sitting here in front of my Christmas tree on Christmas Eve to wish you a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, enjoy the season however you celebrate. This is the Almost Shameless Podcast uh, Best of 2021. So you're getting a compilation of multiple segments from across the year that I loved or were memorable or just sort of speak to a lot of the things we talked about this year and just celebrating my first season with CLNS. Uh, Thank you to them for putting me on the network and sending me out to some new folks who weren't listening and hearing me before. It's been great to be a part of it. And I, uh, yeah, I just wanted to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, however you celebrate. I hope you enjoy the weekend and you enjoy a refresh on some of these hot takes that we, we sort of went through all year long. It was wonderful to be with you. So enjoy the best of Almost Shameless 2021, and I will see you in 2022. Hot stuff coming up. People are going to tell you that Tom Brady put up with a bunch of shit. Tom Brady hated the way things went in New England. They're going to take the last 20 years and diminish them because that serves a narrative they've always been trying to sell. You know how I know Tom Brady didn't hate his time in New England? Tom Brady stayed in New England for 20 years. He played for the same team and the same coach for 20 years. You know who's ever done that before? No one. No one's ever done it. Not a single quarterback. No quarterback has ever stayed and played with a team and the same coach for 20 years. It does not happen. So don't let people diminish the relationship that Belichick and Brady had because it's one of the great stories of teamwork and uh they are one of the great sports duos of all time if not the greatest the longevity they had the way that they made their relationship work for two decades year in year out cheating controversies suspensions injuries super bowl droughts Don't let people diminish that because Tom Brady is 44 and having a little bit of a midlife renaissance and enjoying being tan in Tampa. You will never see a coach quarterback relationship like that again. You'll never see it. You'll never see it. The closest thing we can even possibly consider is Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And we are only four years into that experiment. (laughs) Patrick Mahomes has another 16 years to go with Andy Reid which probably won't happen, unfortunately, because Andy's older at this point in his career. But imagine it's another 16 years. Imagine Patrick Mahomes playing for Andy Reid for another 16 years. And then he leaves to go play for another team because he's gone to nine Super Bowls and won six rings and he's felt like he's done everything he could do with the team. And people saying, wow, Patrick Mahomes was miserable. He hated it there. Andy Reid really rubbed him the wrong way. What? Can you imagine that? That's what people are doing. Don't let them do it. As we enter the season and prepare for that game, which is going to be one of the biggest regular season NFL games of all time, just remember, do not let them do it. There's plenty of evidence that Belichick and Brady really cared about each other and had a great working relationship. And most of it is 20 years 
nine Super Bowls, six rings, and four and a half million division titles. Done twist, done with the narrative twisting. I'm I'm not letting this stuff go this season. Brady now has seven right. rings. Means you know one for every finger that JPP has on his hand. That's that's the first interesting <laughs> one. Um, and you know one for every day of the week. So uh, given that, we're gonna assign each ring to its corresponding weekday. Yes. Uh, All right. So 36, we're going to start, we're going to go consecutively. So the way that it makes sense, 36, they beat the Rams. They, they get over this hump, right? They get over this hump of like, we haven't won a Super Bowl. We have got this amazing defense. We're coming up on this greatest show on turf. No one thinks we can do it underdogs like it just feels like it's never gonna end like the the misery is never gonna end it's gonna be 1985 and 1996 all over again and they get over the hump courtney that's a wednesday that's a wednesday that's hump day. you've got to get over the hump day to get to the good stuff i agree with you 14 point underdogs going into that super bowl i felt like the entire season was a game of inches where destiny weaved them along like the chariot it was a chariot road it was a game of destiny of course the Moloist hit that took Drew Bledsoe out and Tom Brady maintained. And all, all, every single game in that season, there was a reason that they were 11-5. and five. They took the wild card route. They went all the way to the Super Bowl, and damn, they won. So if it wasn't for one thing that led to another, you know, you need that Wednesday. You to do. Get- <laughs> it's literally like the, I don't know, what is, in a, on a pipe, what's the thing that covers it? Oh yeah, the thing that connects them. Oh God, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's yeah. the connector. It's the connector that you know. If if you know, choose your choose your destiny wisely. If you if you slack off and you're lazy, then you're gonna have a shit under your week. But if you push through and you do all of your assignments and you you really put into that presentation that you needed, you're gonna have a great week. So Wednesday it is. I truly feel that Aaron Rodgers is just like a gaslighting all of Green Bay. I. I don't know. I said I've said this before. I don't know if Green Bay fans are as mad about it as I am um, for them, you know, on their behalf. But boy, I really wouldn't love being a Green Bay fan and being talked to like this. It's a lot of like, no, it's not you guys. It's just the shitty team you love. That's the problem. I love you guys. You live in a boring city that I don't want to be in, and this team kind of sucks, and they do everything wrong, and. They don't value me enough, and Brett Favre wasn't nearly as good as I am, but you guys are cool. Like, thanks? But what is not an enigma and what he doesn't seem to understand is that we can tell he, you know, he wants so badly to convince everybody that they're misreading him, that he's misunderstood, that he he's on another level. We just don't get it. And it's like, we get you, dude. You're the easiest, you're the easiest guy in the NFL to read. There's nothing enigmatic or curious about what you're doing. We see, it's very clear. And if you weren't so hostile and gaslighty about all of it, we might even kind of understand it, be there with you. But God, you make it hard. You make it hard, Aaron. First team. Number one across the NFL that I think is the most underrated that people are not talking nearly enough about that people seem to be underestimating is the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray has helped the Arizona Cardinals over the last couple seasons, but specifically last season, become one of the most efficient rushing offenses in the league. 
he, his ability to scramble and get out and do things out of the pocket is elite. His decision-making and, and, and some of the throws that he makes and some of his like connection with Cliff Kingsbury leaves a little bit to be desired, but Kyler Murray is an exceptional quarterback with a super high ceiling, right? Now he's got DeAndre Hopkins. We saw how well that went last year. DeAndre Hopkins is lights out one of the best receivers in the league, if not depending on year to year, the best receiver in the league. Now they have AJ Green, who by all accounts coming out of Arizona and the people who've been at camp say he looks like he's in five years ago, AJ Green form. Now again, that is contingent on him staying healthy, but certainly not to be overlooked. That's for sure. If AJ Green can play even like 80% of prime AJ Green, that's a terrifying wide receiver duo uh, with a both of whom who can be deep threats with a quarterback who can sling the ball 80 air yards. I don't know why we're not talking about that more. JJ Watt, you know, I think people th- think of JJ Watt as having regressed because he's not winning uh, defensive player of the years anymore, but he's been one of the best defensive linemen in the league for the last three years still. He's still an incredibly efficient player, uh, a, a dynamic player. And that's a, that's somebody that you can't just overlook. They still have Chandler Jones, who I, (laughs) he said he wanted to trade. He's still on the team. We all know how that goes. He's probably going to stay with the team, but if he does, that's terrifying to have Chandler Jones and JJ Watt. I know that they're in a difficult division, but I just, and I'm not saying that I think they're going to win the NFC West. I'm just saying this is a team no one is talking about. And they regularly beat each of the teams in their division at least once a year. It's a very even division in terms of playing within itself. So they're going to win games in the NFC West. They're going to do it. It just, it happens every year. Go back and look at how many times, even when the Cardinals were really bad, they would go to Seattle and beat Seattle, go to the Niners and beat the Niners. You know, that division, I think is more up for grabs than people realize that it's not just between the, those other three teams. I really think Arizona's in the mix, at least if not for the division to win games in the division and play spoiler and potentially get in as a wild card. And, and, you know, and make some real noise. I see a lot of promise in Mac Jones as a leader, as a game manager, as a passer, as a franchise quarterback. And I'm moving on from the fact that I didn't want the Patriots to start a rookie. They're starting a rookie and I'm on board. Let's do this. But I'm not going to look at the season through rose colored glasses all year at least not until I start seeing evidence that there's some rose to be seen. Let's get there and let's take this week by week and let's be honest with ourselves every step of the way, as as honest as we possibly can be. Heading into a week one and acting like they can automatically challenge the bills for the division doesn't make any sense. I could say that right now. I could say that and say, Look at the defense. Look at the special teams. If they get Stephon Gilmore back and blah, 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 they could really roll. They could win. I could say all of that, but I, we haven't watched a game with this team. So what would happen is I'd say it and then down the line, I'd hope I was right. And when I was right, I could go back and say, I told you guys, I told you guys, but I didn't know shit. And no one else does either. They don't know anything. We can all do all of these guessing about how things are going to go, but we can only take the evidence in front of us and say, This is what we think could happen, and here's why. As of right now, there's no evidence. There's no reasonable evidence that the Patriots are going to be better than the Bills. Could they? Yes. Every year, four new teams make the playoffs, and four teams that were in the playoffs last year don't make it. Every year, things change. 
Of course, that's a possibility. But as it stands right now, not many people would take that bet. So I'm not going to sit here and give you a hot take just so that I can eventually be right down the line. If three or four weeks into the season, they look like they could go toe to toe with them. I'll talk to you then. And I'll tell you why I think that. I don't need to say things just for the sake, just so, so that hopefully down the line, I can say I was right. I'm not worried about that. I'm not one of those, I'm not gonna get on the mic and pretend I saw Mac Jones as the starter all along. I'm not gonna do that to you. I'm not gonna get on here and lie to you. I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna spend the next year telling you I told you so while you throw receipts at me other, like proving otherwise. I won't do that. I didn't even want the Patriots to draft Mac Jones. On draft day, I said, he looks the most ready to be a starter. I just think he's physically limited. I tweeted that. I know, I know he's capable of doing this. It's just not the thing that I wanted to see. And I've given you a thousand times the reasons why. Now that it's happening, I'm ready to assess this under these conditions with Mac as the starter. So I wanna do that with you guys. But if you're watching, waiting every week, for me to apologize that I wanted Cam Newton to start, or that I thought Cam Newton was gonna start, you're going to be waiting a long time. It's over. I said what I said, I gave my reasons, it went a different way. Stick around, we'll, we'll get through the season together. There are three key things that I see the Patriots needing to do, needing to have in order for Mac Jones to succeed as a rookie quarterback and for more importantly, for the Patriots to succeed with a rookie quarterback. The first one is that the Patriots defense has to be elite. Elite, not good, not above average, elite. This team has to be one of the best defenses in the league in order for Mac Jones to probably make the playoffs, but certainly in order for the team to win a playoff game. The defense is the most important thing, is the most important aspect of this team with a rookie, bar none. And that brings me to number two, which is Josh McDaniels and how he utilizes Mac Jones offensively. As I said, Mac Jones, at from what we have seen so far, is going to be a game manager. His, his mental ability to stay focused, to be able to run the hurry up, to be able to stay comfortable in the pocket, quick release, accurate reads and throws, all of that stuff is going to be his bread and butter this year, which puts a lot of onus on Josh McDaniels to set him up for success every step of the way. Mac, as a rookie, is going to have limitations. We just talked about how Andrew Luck, one of the best rookies to ever come into the NFL, still had limitations as a rookie with all of his college experience, all the passes he'd made in college, heading into his season with the Colts. And they, you know, and he didn't have an elite defense, and so he didn't win a playoff game. But in this particular situation, if this defense is doing their job, if special teams is doing their job, then really it, you know, Mac is is really just 50% of a two-person team that has to be really running that quarterback spot. And Josh McDaniels has to be able to not only set Mac up for success but be a little more creative with those running backs that they have. The running backs are clearly going to be the cog in the offensive wheel that really makes it move. Damian Harris has all the capabilities to be a real number one back for the team, but they have James White, J.J. Taylor, Ramondre Stevenson. This is a group with a lot of dynamic playmakers at that space. They may not all be true, obvious number one guys, the kind of like, players that we see the Alvin Kamaras and 
Christian McCaffrey's. We don't, I mean, I really think Damian Harris has the capability to be that guy. And I think he will have the chance to step up this season, but they are going to be the thing that makes this offense work. It goes without saying that every single quarterback in the league needs a good offensive line. The, and Mac has one. Mac has a good offensive line. They don't need to be, you know, uh, that, that, that doesn't need to necessarily be said. But the, the weight McDaniels bears as a play caller and a play designer in 2021 with a rookie quarterback and the running backs that he has, and now with a couple of tight ends and a couple more receivers, a downfield threat, this now is the time for him to break some of that mold, some of that staleness that he got into in 2018 and 2019 in the back end of the Tom Brady years and start to really understand that creative play calling and putting your rookie quarterback in situations where they can succeed are two sides of the same coin in order for this offense to work. Bet online has you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the college bowl season and the pro football playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. So don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available. Bet online where the game starts. I have to share with you these incredible quotes from CC Sabathia after the Red Sox beat the Yankees again ousted them from the playoffs again he had to have known that this was going to be like an injection of pure ecstasy for Red Sox fans I don't know why he would say this out loud but I am very grateful he did I'm going to read the direct quotes from CC Sabathia on the R2C2 podcast from the ringer here's what he said this Red Sox team is a completely different team our core lost to a team in 2018, that's not even the same Red Sox. They went on to win a World Series. Mookie, Jackie Bradley, Ben Intendi, they traded all them dudes. We still had the same core. We come back to Boston fucking four years later and lose to a fucking completely different core that they have raised up in three years. Like, how does that happen? What the fuck are we doing wrong? And they doing right that in a three-year span, they win a World Series and then a completely fucking different core whoops our ass in the fucking wild card game. And I... I have to say in this Yahoo Sports article that is that is recapping what he said, shout out to Darren Hartwell, who is actually uh, from NBC Sports Boston. Darren Hartwell adds this amazing little quote right after that, where he says, in Sabathia's defense, New York doesn't have the exact same core from that 2018 season. GM Brian Cashman did spend $324 million to bring in ace Garrett Cole, who gave up three runs and two plus innings on Tuesday night to take the loss. So. Nice little shot there, Darren. Very well executed for CC Sabathia to get on this podcast and not only just be like, hey, you know, Yankees sucked. What, what are they doing? Like, they've got to be better than this. But he just like completely lays out 
the argument for why the Red Sox are the better organization. They've overhauled. They've gotten rid of three players who in 2018 were the best outfield in baseball, three of the best players in baseball, Mookie Betts and MVP. And here they are beating the same Yankees with a, you know, it's not a completely different core. Obviously they still have some core pieces. They have Rafi Devers. They have Xander Bogarts. They have some of the same pitchers. They have Christian Vasquez. There's a handful of guys that are still part of that core, but point taken. You're a Steelers fan. I'm a Patriots fan. We also both cover sports, so we are not the most. We're able to criticize the teams. I'm not banging the table saying that Ben Roethlisberger is still a top five quarterback. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm not standing here. I wasn't, you know, one of those people who was like, Mac Jones completed three passes in a row. He's basically Tom Brady. (laughs) So we are basically in the same spot where probably fans of your team get mad at you frequently for not being into it enough. Sure. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go over things. Big Ben is fucking toast. Like he... I know you probably aren't willing to go right there, like right this second. And I will say I looked at his numbers. I've compared. I looked at a little tiny bit of like highlights and stuff from the last game. He is still a dude who clearly used to be good at football. It's like it's like when you watch someone play like pickup basketball that's like 55, but you can clearly tell they used to play in the NBA. Like you're like, oh, dude, I see it. I see the fucking ghost of what you used to be. Like, this is not me trying to disrespect Ben Roethlisberger, but, like, yeah, there's, do you see any chance in hell this team's able to get themselves together enough to make a real playoff run? And by real playoff run, I mean make the playoffs and win a game in the playoffs. I don't think they'll win a game in the playoffs, but I think that they're capable. I mean, their defense is good enough to get them to a six or seven seed. Um, now, against Denver, like, the game against Denver, to me, is what Pittsburgh came into the year wanting to be able to do week in, week out. And that's have Ben throw it 25 times, run for 100 yards, defense play well, win game. That's what they're that's what they came into the year one in their only formula. Only do that against specific teams, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Like when they ask that now the Steelers are a team that is built to play with a lead. They're not built to come from behind because Ben doesn't have the arm that he used to and you can't ask a 39 going on 40-year-old quarterback who had his elbow reconstructed to throw 50 times in a game. You just can't do it. Right. And you know, the thing with Ben right now too, if you look at his passing charts, over this season, dating back to last year, they just really don't test deep middle of the field because Ben just doesn't really have the arm to do it anymore. And whether they want to admit that or Ben doesn't want to admit that, that's fine. Like, don't I love Ben Roethlisberger it's from the time I was in kindergarten until now. He, he the cold take from the time I was in kindergarten until now. He has been the court. He's been the quarterback of my life. There's never been another he's starting been the quarterback. quarterback since you were in kindergarten. Yeah. How, what? You are a baby. I'm 22. Oh my God. That is so young. I can't believe you were that young. You look older. I don't know if that's a good I get that a lot. Yeah, no. I mean, I take it as a compliment. Okay, good. So you act older. Thank you. It's, you're mature. It's a good thank you. Yes. I appreciate that. But so obviously I have a deep love for Ben Roethlisberger and I've and it pains me in a way to like have to come out and say, yeah, Ben just doesn't have it anymore. This is the thing I would like to make clear, which is that like you being having close people in your life who are black, close people in your life who are gay, close people in your life who are women does not mean you are not racist, homophobic or misogynist. Having your people that benefit you in some way, shape or form and giving them the grace and dignity of people who are attached to you 
is only a tiny little bit of your obligation as a member of society. Having the grace and the empathy to extend that to people you don't know, people you don't have relationships with, that makes you a good person. Not being racist directly to the fucking black people you coach is not an achievement. It is the basic bare minimum that you have to do in order to function in society without getting your face pounded in. So that's not, you don't get a, a gold star for not being racist to your black players' faces. You don't get a gold star for not be, for not, as far as we know, actually sexually harassing or assaulting women. You don't, that all of this is bare minimum stuff. Extending that to people you don't know, extending that grace when you're speaking to another man in emails, having that as an ethos and not just in your one-on-one personal relationships, the things that benefit you, that's what makes you a decent person and a person that's qualified to be a leader of men and women in the NFL. That is it. End of story. I don't want to hear from anybody about your personal relationship with John Gruden because personal relationships are like anecdotal. They don't mean anything about someone's beliefs. The racism and the homophobia and all that stuff, it always stops when it's your person or they benefit you in some way, shape or form. John Gruden's not fucking stupid. 70% of the NFL is black. Of course, he has personal relationships with black people. He still has said many things that are racist. And so that that is that'll show you it's almost worse. It's almost worse when you have these types of relationships across your life and you can still sort of commodify them in that way. Like, these are my people. They, these are the people who benefit me. Enough with all of that. I, I can't, I cannot stress enough. I don't care if you have a wife, daughter, or mother. I don't care about your black friends. I don't care about your gay friends. Treat people you don't fucking know, hypothetical people in the world with the same respect, and then I will take you seriously. There is a reason that only a handful of guys have ever come out who've played in the NFL and why only one active player is out. It's not because there's only one LGBTQ plus member of the NFL. It's because it is not a welcoming place to be not straight. There is a reason why racial issues have continued to compound over and over again over the years. There's a reason that the league itself has to institute more strict Rooney rules in order to get teams to seriously consider black candidates for coaching opportunities in a league that is 70% black. The league itself is admitting it has a race problem by saying, okay, we have the Rooney rule. Now we have to make sure every team is interviewing two black head coaches because people are not taking this rule seriously enough. They're admitting they have that problem. So these are issues we know exist. Misogyny, that is a cultural problem. But of course, it gets worse and worse the more male-dominated an in, in industry or an organization is. And of course, the NFL is seriously male-dominated. These are systemic embedded issues that have been woven into the fabric of football in the NFL over the course of decades and decades since it was incepted until now. Opening the floodgates to 650,000 documents from one organization is simply not going to happen. And, I, and I'm at the point now where I'm not even sure it would do the thing we want it to do, which is hold everybody accountable. I think what it would do is start to make us think that people are being held accountable and that things are changing because we see people get fired and we see, you know, proof of the things that we know are going on behind the scenes. And, and maybe some of that would help, but 
the real the real thing that needs to happen is every single day change needs to be instituted slowly but surely it's a really frustrating awful reality but the fact of the matter is whining and complaining that Roger Goodell is not going to release these documents is sort of a moot point at this point Roger Goodell has been operating this way for the majority of his time as commissioner we know who he is we know how he works. We know that this system of judge, jury, and executioner is how they operate. This is nothing new. We know that the commissioner is rewarded off of TV deals and the income of the league. And it's why that ESPN just released a report that he has made either 65, I think $165 million in the last two years, Roger Goodell himself. You can't ask somebody who is benefiting to such an insane financial degree, somebody who is benefiting so immensely from a constantly growing product as Roger Goodell to kick himself in the teeth. He's not going to do, why would he do that? He can't be the one to hold himself accountable. His paycheck, his role as commissioner is at stake. Why on God's green earth would he be the one to do that? We are never going to get transparency from someone who has everything to lose. I mean, he is making generations upon generations of wealth in a matter of two years by overseeing the league as it is. People who are in power want things to stay the same. You can pick one. Only one of these guys can get the award. You give coach of the year to Bill Belichick or do you give offensive rookie of the year to Mac Jones? Ooh. <laughs> uh... Yeah, you know what? I love the season that Mac is having, and I really, really hope the kid wins it because I think he's earned it, and I think he's done a tremendous job. But how can you not give Coach of the Year to Bill Belichick right now? I mean, you're talking one of the great coaching performances from the greatest coach to ever stalk the sidelines, and I don't say that with any hesitation. Bill Belichick is unquestionably the best. Look, this guy set the bar very high in 2001, took a team that no one believed was going to be a Super Bowl contender, took them to the playoffs, took them to a Super Bowl, and he's been doing amazing things ever since. 2007 leads this team to an undefeated season. I understand the Giants you know ruined that but I don't think there's words described or created uh to um talk about the game of football that really adequately say how difficult it is to get a team through a season undefeated and into the Super Bowl Bill Belichick did that and he did it obviously with great coaching staff at Tom Brady there's no question about that those are huge huge factors and he wouldn't have been able to do it without it but at the same time to not give him his just due for those types of seasons is truly remarkable. I think Bill did a great job last year coaching this team at seven and nine with all of the upheaval and all of the difficulties that they had. Lost Cam early in the season to COVID. Cam was not the same player when he came back, and still they were able to get a good amount of and keep this team in relatively in uh, uh, in relevance. But uh, the job that he's done this year, not just as a coach, but as an executive and taking the players that he needed to get in the offseason and putting them into a system where he knew they could succeed. Obviously, the choice of Mac Jones was something that was a little bit of good fortune. It was a little bit of playing game well, and it was a little bit of scouting and knowing that he was the perfect guy for this uh, this team. But that was some happenstance there as well. Going out and getting some of the guys he got in free agency, whether it be Matt Judon, whether it be Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne, he just seems to be pressing all the right buttons this year. And now what he's doing is he's giving himself 
Bill the GM has given Bill the coach the tools that he needed to be able to succeed. And he's doing a tremendous job with that, with, uh, with it this year. The team looks much better on offense week to week. On defense, they continue to be stifling. And again, I think uh, right up there with the great coaching jobs that he's ever done, maybe the best he's ever done in New England. And that's saying something when you look at the last 20 years and the resume that he's created. So much as I love Mac, I'm giving it to Bill at this point. And honestly, it's probably not close. Yeah, I, yeah uh, you know I agree. I don't have to tell. My listeners know I agree. The viewers know I agree. You knew I agree before I even said it. Uh, this is, uh, if Bill Belichick does not win Coach of the Year this year, cancel the award. It's useless. Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. He's, all, he's already been, I mean, the fact that he only has the couple that he does have is so silly. Uh, but this is the year. I don't want to see... I don't want to see anyone else up there. I don't want to see Cliff Kingsbury. I don't want to see any of these dudes just because it, I don't want to see Matt LaFleur. No, none of it. None of it. This is Coach Belichick's award. It should be named after him and it right. should exist in perpetuity as the Belichick award. And I completely agree. You lose the goat and put together this kind of team in such a short amount of time and turn around this way, how could you not say it's one of his great coaching performances? I think you probably do at this point. You have to go back to 2001 to really right. find a comparative uh, performance. And the 2001 um, performance is it's interesting in its own way, less, uh, less dominant, but equally, mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of hard decisions to be made that year as well. A lot of funky little coaching things. Belichick started showing who he was as a person who understood um, the rules of the league, perhaps better than the league itself sometimes. Right. And, um, and the way he handled the quarterback situation in the playoffs with Bledsoe and Brady, the whole thing was really a mm. masterpiece, but then you jump forward 20 years and we're here and you're, you're right. There's an argument to be made for that. Still a few games left to go. I really hope it goes their way, but regardless, I think the, the case has already been made. And of course the best win of the season, the best win of the season, my friends, is the next one, is the next one. Of course, come on guys, you knew, you knew it had to be. The best win of the season is gonna be the next one. Tom Brady may be gone, but he is not forgotten. Always looking to the next win, not getting caught in the trap. You know I had to end it that way, come on. So as they look forward and look ahead to these big games coming up, Browns in week 10, Titans, Bills, two games against the Bills, there is a lot to believe in with this team. The Bills have looked very, very human. Josh Allen has looked human. I still don't buy that the Titans are as good as they have looked. I just can't. There's something in there. There's some sort of crack in the armor that someone's going to find. And why not Bill? Why not the classic Bill versus Rabel showdown that's turned into one of the best coaching showdowns in the AFC. We love to see it. I'm looking forward to that game. In the meantime, let's celebrate all of our Damian Harris, offensive player of the first half, Matt Judon, defensive player of the first half, Nick Folk, special teams player of the first half, Mac Jones, rookie of the year, of the first half. I have a feeling he's going to keep that one going. Jamie Collins, comeback player of the year of the first half. All these guys are going to be the most important players on this team moving forward. So celebrate them and look forward to what they have to offer on the back half of this season. All right, I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.